just see what I can find in Scripture that speaks to mothers, but of course speaks uh, to everyone, uh, as Pastor always so correctly notes, uh, for as joyous a day as this is for many of us, and hopefully, uh, mothers, you have a wonderful day. Uh, that is not always the case for everyone. We know some people have lost mothers recently. We know some mothers are not in a relationship with their children that they would love to have, that, that, that this Mother's Day isn't the way they would envision it. And of course, there are those who would love to be mothers and just isn't God's plan yet. So please know, um, it's still God's word. He still has a wonderful message to your heart. He still wants to encourage you and comfort you. And that's the nice thing about opening God's word. Uh, the preacher might have one intent for it, but the Holy Spirit's going to say what the Holy Spirit's going to say. And all I got to do is move out of the way. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm going to let you know that that whole thought of how there is a wide range of emotions on a day like today is actually what led me to the passage we're going to be looking at. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a woman, a mother in the Bible named Hannah. So if you know anything about Hannah, you know that she really experienced pretty much every emotion that you might associate with a day like today. She knew the pain of not having a child and wanting one. She knew the joy of being blessed with a child. And she even knew the struggle of having to one day give that child over to the Lord so that he could be everything that God wanted him to be. I've got to assume everyone in this room, mother, not mother, male, female, doesn't matter. We can all associate on some level with the emotions of what Hannah had to go through. And my hope is that's what the Holy Spirit does for us today. Uh, so the story of Hannah is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you want to turn in your Bible there or if you want to wait till it pops up on the screen. I am going to ask some of you a favor. Um, if you know the story of Hannah, or at least somewhat know it, if you could just quickly make a mental note of what, what bullet points would you make sure to hit if somebody ever asked you about this Bible character named Hannah. Now, we're not talking about Bible trivia night. We're not impressed by every nook and cranny you might know. But what things would you want to make sure you mentioned if someone ever asked you about this Bible character named Hannah? So just trying to make a little mental note, just be honest with yourself. Well, I would want to make sure someone knew this about the story of Hannah. Um, and then we're going to look at how God told the story. And then we're going to compare the two. All right, so here we go. If we could all stand in honor of reading God's word, we will be reading 1 Samuel, all of chapter 1, uh, to learn about a mother named Hannah. Okay, there was a certain man of Ramathane Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli... Hophnius and Phineas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, 
and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. You may be seated. So again, not sure what you did or did not know about the story of Hannah, but I did ask you to kind of make a mental note of what you would, what bullet points you would hit or what cliff notes you would give uh, if someone ever asked you. And I actually uh, ran this experiment by my brother and sister yesterday. We have a, had a family party. My brother turned 40, for those of you who know him. And um, they both know their Bible. They both love the Lord. And when I asked them that, they both pretty much agreed that if they were just going to cover what they felt was the story of Hannah. They would explain that Hannah was a woman who wanted a child, who went to the temple, prayed to God for that child, said that I would, she would devote that child to the Lord if God gave her a child. And then when the Lord did, she did what she promised. They felt that pretty well summarized the story. It was actually a little bit more than I did because when I wrote down my summary, it was a woman who couldn't have children. So she went to the temple and prayed God would give her one. And he did. And it was Samuel. It's not that I don't know more about Hannah, but if you really asked me what was quote-unquote important in understanding the story of Hannah, I pretty much summed it up in one sentence. My brother and sister, maybe two or three verses. I don't know. I don't know what you went through in your head, but I know that God devoted 28 verses to the story of Hannah. So either God is worried about my entertainment, that I needed to know background characters, and I needed an evil villain in the plot, and... Or, no, God doesn't put things in here if I'm not supposed to be touched by them, if I'm not supposed to be spoken to by them, if I'm not supposed to be comforted by them, convicted by them. That's what the Word of God does. Um, I said earlier that some people see this day as a day of joy, and some people see this as a day of sorrow. Uh, Eddie, sir, I know you think you screwed up on that hymn. I think that was a divine appointment, because of the entire thing we sang this morning, what was the only thing we sang twice? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's the only thing God had us sing twice today. Everything else we gave to him once. But the one thing we had to sing twice was, Lord, wherever I am right now, I want to praise you. I want to thank you. And I pray that that's what we do here. So my title for today's sermon, because you know I like my catchy titles, is The Hidden Truths of Hannah. And technically, that's a total lie, because they're not hidden. They were right in front of my face. But oh my goodness, was there so much in chapter 1 that I pretty willingly skimmed over to get to the important stuff. And yet, as I meditated on it, and as I allowed the chapter to speak to me, all of a sudden, this popped up, and this popped up, and this popped up. And the nice thing about hidden truths is they're hidden until they're not. So I'm going to share with you the ones God laid on my heart, and maybe he'll lay some others in your heart, and and we can have a great time speaking about this wonderful mother named Hannah. Uh, But let's pray and give this time to God. Lord, I thank you. Even in something as simple as singing a hymn twice, you speak to my heart. Lord, you could have picked anything, but it was that one verse that I really felt you wanted us to drill home in a hymn that we sing so often. Lord, it probably does just roll off our tongue and, and we don't think about what we're saying. But Lord, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Lord, I don't know where each person here is, but I, but I do know that some are going to have a wonderful day and some are going to have a difficult one. 
And I know you're going to be there for all of us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that promise. I thank you for that confidence. I thank you for your word that tells me that. And then I thank you for a, a character named Hannah, Lord, who gets just over one chapter of the Bible, and then we never hear of her again. And yet here we are thousands of years later talking about her, learning from her, using her example that you made sure to write down in 28 verses. Not two or three. You could have. But there was so much more that you wanted us to know that I thank you for revealing to me in my life and now for the honor of sharing it with everyone here. So Lord, we give this time to you, this day to you, and just pray that you be gloried in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'll be honest. Started at three hidden truths. Um, we got up to seven. So for those of you with Mother's Day brunch plans, I'll try to keep the ball, the ball moving, but I have got to share with you what God's laid on my heart. So we have seven hidden truths in Hannah. Uh, the first one is in the first five verses. So let's see if you can see where I'm going with this. The first five verses of our passage today said, There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophan, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So again, we said, well, maybe God's just trying to introduce background characters. We have Elkanah, we have Hannah, we have Peninnah, we have Eli. We even have a mention of Hophni and, Hophni and Phinehas' Eli's sons who become pertinent later in the book. But other than that, did I need to know this to know the story of Hannah? And if you're going to say, well, yeah, John, because that shows um, Elkanah's lineage and it, it shows that he was a Levite... I don't mean to downplay those things. Those things are awesome when you can understand that God gives us what we need to see that his word is true. But practically speaking, did I really need that? To understand Hannah, what she went through, and her story, did I need to know so much about her husband named Elkanah? My answer is yes. My answer is the reason God went into so much detail about Elkanah is because he wanted us to know that he was a godly man. That he was a man that sacrificed yearly. He was a man who strived to do what God told him to do. Yes, he had two wives. I liked what the one uh, commentary I read said. They called it, yeah, that was still a sin. God never condoned polygamy, but it was a sin of ignorance. It's just, it's what they did to maintain the family. And so I'm not giving him a pass, but I'm also not giving him a strike. This man was trying. This man sacrificed yearly at the temple. This man... Um, gave portions to the family. This man truly loved Hannah in a time when everyone would have understood if he didn't. Because he didn't give her sons, and you got to give me sons if I'm going to keep on my name, so you're pretty much useless to me. Everyone would have understood if he kicked Hannah to the curb. And the Bible goes out of its way to say, no, 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 he loved her. So what's the first hidden truth that I see in this passage? Is that Hannah was blessed. Now, most of us, if I had asked you two minutes ago, was Hannah blessed, if you knew the story? Of course, oh my goodness, let me tell you the story of Hannah. She prayed to God for a kid, and he opened her womb and gave her one. Man, was she blessed. Man, are we missing the point if we think that's why Hannah was blessed. God goes out of his way to make sure we know, no, 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 no. She was blessed way before I ever gave her the miracle that we call Samuel. She was a blessed woman before, and we are blessed people. Mothers, I hope you feel blessed today. I hope you feel loved and appreciated and everything that you deserve. But can I tell you that that child or children that God gave you are a blessing. Motherhood is a blessing. It is not the blessing. Anyone here, and I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm yelling at you, it's just who I am. But anyone here who thinks, well, he didn't make me a mother. Why didn't I get blessed? God's sovereign. That, that, that's one blessing that maybe he has in store for you, maybe he doesn't. But oh my goodness, if we use today as a determining factor of whether God blesses us or not, and I don't think we would consciously do that, but let's be honest, sometimes we subconsciously do. 
as we see the mom taking pictures with her kids in there and we wish we were that mom. I'm not saying that's a, that's a very understandable, realistic emotion, but don't allow that to erase the fact to think, oh yeah, Hannah had nothing until God gave her. No, that's not true at all. God actually goes out of his way to make sure we know that she was loved. She was protected. She was cared for. She had a godly husband. She had so much already. And I want us to understand the same thing. There's so many people in here. Physically speaking, everyone in here has got to say that they're blessed by God. I mean, you're here. You're alive. You're breathing. You're healthy. Now, what extent your physical blessings go to, that's going to be different for each person in the room. But to me, it's not even about the physical blessings. If you are a child of God, don't ever lose sight of how blessed you truly, truly are. I love John 1.16, where it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Blessing upon blessing. I think of how the psalmist talks about his cup running over. That's a conscious decision to look at your life that way. If you're constantly looking forward and saying, yeah, but I don't have, yeah, but I hope I have, yeah, but I'd like, there's nothing wrong with dreams, there's nothing wrong with goals, but oh my goodness, when those things make you forget the blessings that you already have, especially as a child of God, that should not be a hidden truth in Hannah, but I feel like it is. I feel like it's something that we wouldn't stop to think about because the blessing of Hannah is she got her son. No, that was just another blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing that our loving Heavenly Father gives us. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing we need, spiritual, maybe not physical, but our loving Father blesses us in ways that we can't even imagine Mothers, again, I hope you feel blessed today, but I certainly hope you spend time reflecting on how you've been blessed. Not just to be a mother. (laughs) Again, if you're not a child of God right now, then to be honest, you are missing out on the biggest blessing there is. You're missing out on the only blessing that really counts. If I got to choose between someone being a child of God or someone being a mother, no offense, I hope you never have a kid. I'd much rather spend eternity in heaven with you, praising our Lord, than those few short, precious years that you get with children. Now, thankfully, it's not an either or. I thank God for that. But my point is simply that don't look at today as a determiner of, am I blessed or not? Am I blessed as much as this one? No. Oh, my goodness. We're all blessed. We just got to stop and realize it. So what are you saying, John? So, so, so uh, Hannah should have just been happy? She was being selfish, you know, wanting more. Didn't she already have enough? Can I be honest? Blatantly honest? Deep in my heart, that's often how I feel. I've got to, I struggle with that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But sometimes I do feel like, don't you have enough blessing? Isn't that pretty much what her husband said? But I'm so thankful it's not what Scripture says. What does Scripture choose to tell us right after we learn about Elkanah? Watch, maybe you knew this. But it starts talking about her rival, which we know is Peninnah, the other wife. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. I ask you again, did I need to know that? Is that just the fact that every story needs an evil villain? That there has to be an antagonist to go to the protagonist? Every author knows that. God's not interested in literary effectiveness. There's only got to be one reason that God made sure we knew about Peninnah, and it's that I could be spiritually blessed by the fact that as blessed as Hannah was, she was still hurting. I think God needed us to know that. Not just hurting because she wanted a child, but there was legitimate things going on in her life that every blessing that she had didn't change the fact that this hurt. And I struggle with that within myself. I'm just going to be honest. I share this at community group. There are times that things scare me. They bother me. They anger me. And I try to push that down. I try to act like it's not even there because who am I to complain about anything after all the blessings God's given me? Who am I to worry about this? What's wrong with you? Stop worrying. What's wrong with you? Don't get mad. What's wrong with you? But meanwhile, it's still there. And I read this and I say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're not in heaven saying, what's wrong with you? Haven't I blessed you enough? No. 
He knows this life can hurt. He knows that you can be blessed and hurting at the same time. That is such a beautiful thought that I pray many of you take to heart right now. Is maybe you do feel guilty about, oh, I know this shouldn't bother me so much. I know God is sovereign. I know God's plan is so perfect, but oh my goodness, I just can't. He knows. He understands. He loves you. He knows where you are. He knows where he put you. Let's remember, it wasn't just Peninnah picking on Hannah. God closed her womb. This wasn't just bad luck. This was God saying, listen, Hannah, I, I know this hurts. I just need you to trust me. I know, I know all those blessings. I know you're thankful for them. I know you don't mean it. But even with all of that, this still hurts. And that's okay. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I picture this story in my mind, I see all these people in like rags, like with, with you know, crumbs of bread. He was talking to the masses. I'm sure some people were very needy and I'm sure others were very blessed, but Jesus didn't categorize them. You, you look like you need rest. I got you, you got enough already. Get out of my face. No, he understands that as blessed as you may or may not be, as blessed as you may or may not feel, this life still hurts. There's still things. You can feel blessed to be a mother and still heartbroken that your kids aren't where you want them to be spiritually. It's okay. You can be blessed to be, I'm not going to keep giving examples, but as much as I want every single one of you to acknowledge all the blessings that God's given you in your life, it doesn't mean that you can't be honest with him and say, yeah, but Lord, this still hurts. Lord, I still don't know what to do about this. Lord, I still don't, I don't know how, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay, as long as you do what Hannah did, which is give it to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us that Jesus says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. If I was God, that verse would say, cast your cares away. What are you, stupid? Haven't I given you enough? Why are you letting that? No, he doesn't say that. I thank him eternally that he doesn't say that. He understands. He says, yes, I know you have cares. And I'm sorry, but in my infinite wisdom, I'm not always going to take them away right away. But you know something? Until I do, give them to me. Let me help you with that hurt. As you acknowledge how blessed you are, which gives him praise, give me those things that hurt you, which give him praise. The problem is when we forget how blessed we are or when we keep that hurt to ourselves, that not only are we harming ourselves, but we're not giving God the glory he deserves. So those are the first two. Sorry, we're getting to seven. But the first two hidden truths I see. She was a blessed woman who was still hurting. And yes, that's okay. In fact, it's pretty much called life. Let's see what's next. Verses 8 through 16. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Again, I'm not going to ask, had you heard that story before? I'm going to ask, what is it doing there? Did I need to know that to know the story of Hannah? Isn't the story of Hannah, she asked God for a kid, he gave her a kid, turned out to be Samuel, great man of God. Apparently, I needed to hear that. And gentlemen in the room, apparently, we needed to hear that. We needed to know that Hannah had a bunch of dope guys in her life. Morons, mopes, as my dad would say. 
classic good-intentioned husband wanting to console his wife, seeing she's grieved, and how does he choose to say it? Come on, what's the matter? Am I not enough? Are I not not enough? I don't even think he meant it accusingly. He was trying to encourage her. Listen, I don't care that you didn't give me 10 sons. You have me. But it's not what she needed to hear at that moment. How often, gentlemen, do we hear when women come to us with their issues, it doesn't necessarily mean they want an answer. They just want someone to listen. But oh my goodness, do we think we have to give the answer. So poor Hannah. She's going through all of this. And the, the, the man that she wants to give the child to is saying, well, well, what's wrong with you? Aren't I enough? Oh, you just don't get it. But to her credit, I think Scripture would have recorded if she had a wrong answer. She doesn't answer. She goes to the temple. Good answer. Well done, Hannah. Go to the temple. Pray to God. You're doing everything great. Until this other dope moron guy. <laughs> what are you, drunk? Come on, get out of here. Now, interestingly, I didn't know this, but it does make sense. That was probably an indictment of Eli himself. We know that Eli was one of those good-intentioned, but things didn't usually turn out. His sons were extremely ungodly priests who ended up being killed for their ungodliness. And again, it's just commentators, but multiple of them said the reason his mind went straight to her being drunk was probably because that was a common occurrence in the temple that people would go, they would do their ceremonial meal, but they wouldn't do it for God, they would do it for themselves, they would eat, they would drink, they would be merry, and then they would go to the, the temple acting like, okay, this is the next step of the party. So he almost, his mind went straight to, oh geez, here we go, another drunk. So I mentioned that because of what I'm going to say in a couple minutes. But right now, what does Hannah do? She has the right, oh no, my Lord. She, there's a very good chance she didn't have much respect for him, but she showed it. Right, so my, my, my third hidden truth here is that Hannah was misunderstood, right? And as much as we joke about husbands and wives and, you know, man, I think all of us have been there. When you're going through something and even the people you think you can count on the most just don't seem to be there for you. They try, but they just don't get it. The phrase, no one understands, takes on literal meaning. Um, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I kind of gave up watching news years ago. I've, I've shared that from the pulpit. I saw what it was doing to me. It was not producing godly emotions in me, so I'm pretty much trying to stay on the outside looking in. But for some reason, multiple times now, I don't know if any of you have noticed, it seems like there were a lot of college female athletes committing suicide. I've heard of at least three. One was a cheerleader, one was a soccer player, and I think one was a track star. I mean, all three of them, not, not related at all, and again, I know it's happening everywhere. I'm not trying to single out certain people, but it's just interesting that in every case, it was someone who's pretty successful. Someone who had gotten accepted to college, had a scholarship, seemed to have everything going for them, and in every case, they left some kind of message pretty much apologizing, saying, I know you guys don't understand. I know you tried your best, but I just can't take this anymore, and Again, I teach in Teaneck. I'm not trying to single out Teaneck, but you better believe I've gotten more emails this year from counselors saying, try to be understanding with this one. I've had more students removed from my class, not for behavior issues, but so that they could go to some kind of therapy, which I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But people are hurting. And a big part of that hurt isn't just what they're going through, but the fact that it seems like nobody understands. Hannah was surrounded by people who I'm sure meant well but didn't understand. And yet from what we read, I don't want to say it was okay, but she was able to put up with it because she was never going to those people in the first place. She was going to God. And the second you tell yourself God doesn't understand, now you're lying to yourself and just looking for an out to complain. I'm sorry. God will always understand. He has to understand or he's not God. Right? I think of the hymn, I Must Tell Jesus. Some of us hymn people know it. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. It doesn't mean you don't talk to people. The Bible commands that we are to bear one another's burdens. You better believe that if you come to me with something that's on your heart, I'm not going to say, I don't know, take it to God. What do you want me to do? 
No, it would be an honor to try to be there for you. But you better believe that every time someone does, I get a little bit of a knot in my stomach. Lord, please let me say the right thing. Lord, please don't let me just give my opinion. Lord, please make sure that what I give is your words, not mine. It's, it's scary, humbling. I don't know what words you want to use there. But I'll tell you right now, I'll apologize in advance if I let any of you down. I don't mean it, but I'm human. You're going to tell me your situation, and I'm going to see your situation through my eyes. And then I'm going to want to tell you what I think you should do. And I promise it's coming from a good place. But I'm pretty sure Job's friends were coming from a good place too. In the end, only God understands. And if you're not giving things over to him, you're setting yourself up for failure. And yes, you're going to get mad at your best friend. And yes, you're going to get mad at your whoever because they should understand. But listen, don't put them in that position. Lean on them. Ask them for help. But in the end, get it from God. He understands. If you are a mother of 10 children today or someone who doesn't have any kids, you've still got blessings and you've still got hurts. And God understands that. We are reminded in Hebrews 4.15 when referring to Jesus, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. One of the toughest things about that word tempted is we always think tempted is different than tested, and it's the same word. It just means that he understands. No, Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to want a child. I understand that. But he understands the human emotion of how it can, again, it didn't overwhelm him, but he knows he was tempted. He was put in positions where another human might have said, I can't take this anymore and just given up. But he is our example. No, he can sympathize. He is in heaven interceding for us. He is guarding our hearts and minds during that time. Usually I think of a guard, you know, don't come in here. But now I just picture him giving us a big hug. Listen, kid, I know you don't get it. I know my ways are higher than your ways. You'll understand someday, but for now, just come here. I understand. And I'm not trying to sound like a Hallmark card here. I'm really not. God deserves so much more than that. I'm not trying to make it sound like some sweet moment you can have with him. No, it's a critical moment that you need with him before you really do think that you're doing this alone. And Satan overwhelms you with thoughts that you never should be having, especially if you're a child of God. Okay, so we've got that she was a blessed woman who was still hurting and was misunderstood, but kept her focus on God, stayed um, crying out to God, not to others. And that's what picks us up in verse 17. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him for the look from the Lord. Okay, finally a part of the story that we did remember. This part's necessary. This is the part that says that God answered her prayer, gave her a son, that son became Samuel. John, there can't be any hidden truths in here. It's right there on the paper. Well, yes and no. First, let me take care of the truth that's not there. (laughs) The one that some people think. Eli does not say, go in peace and the God of Israel will grant your petition. This wasn't some promise that Eli gave her that made Hannah go home and say, oh good, now we're okay. I already explained to you there's a very good chance that Hannah didn't hold Eli in the highest of regard anyway. She did not leave there because Eli gave her some promise. She just left there because God gave her some sort of peace that she needed in that moment. And amen. I hope we all can relate to that. When you're going through something, then all of a sudden you just feel a sense of peace. It's called the peace that passes understanding because you don't understand it. But you know it's there. You know this should be bothering you more. You know that this should be worrying you more. You know that you should be more. But I'm just at peace. Please don't, don't, don't minimize that. That is the Holy Spirit working inside of you saying, kid, I got this. I believe that's why she walked off with her face no longer being sad. That's not the hidden truth. To me, the hidden truth is that it says, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. Now, that phrase, due time, is very interesting. It literally could mean anything from a day to eternity. 
There is no set time. It just means that it took as long as it needed to take. So for those of you who think that um, Hannah prayed and went home and had relations with her husband and bang, she was pregnant, you might be right. But then I'm going to ask you, why do we even need that phrase? Why is that phrase hidden there? Unless God wants us to understand that, listen, I did bless her, but it doesn't mean I blessed her right there. There is a chance that she thought maybe this is the time. Mm. All right, maybe this time. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know because Scripture doesn't tell me. But doesn't that mean the Scripture doesn't tell It tells me that Hannah never gave up. That even if it didn't happen right away, which most commentators, at least the ones I read, believe, that that phrase is saying, no, no, it still took time. Because it doesn't say, in due time she bore a son. Like, we all understand that. We all had science classes. We know you don't pop a baby out the next day. But it says, in due time she conceived and bore a son. We don't know what that means. We don't need to know what it means. But how it speaks to me, a hidden truth in here, is that Hannah was patient. Not patient for the 19 years or however long they believe she was barren, but patient from the moment that she felt peace in her heart, that God was going to do something for her, to the moment that she did do it, that he did do it, sorry. She was at peace. She was patient. Again, we had a really great conversation in community group this Thursday. I know you guys are always encouraged to go to one of them. I really think you should. We were talking about the times where we stray from God's command for our life. And how sometimes it's because we think we know better. I call them the yeah buts. I know the Bible says this but. And we go in a different direction. But to be honest, I don't think I do that very often in my life, I hope. I don't say I know what the Bible says but. I say, no, I know God's way is better. I don't think mine is better. I just don't know when he's going to do it. You understand? And what if this takes like 10, isn't it better if I just do something now? I don't know how many firstborns there are out there, but you got to understand what I'm saying here. We are problem solvers. Like that's what we do. We see a problem, we solve it. We see a wall, we knock it down. And it's not that I want to disobey God or think I know better, but man, do I struggle being patient. Because it's not like he says, John, wait a month. Fine, I'll wait a month. No, he says, John, wait. How about now? How about now? I mean, really, don't we kind of sort of do that? But that's a hidden truth of Hannah. We don't see that. I think we, again, my opinion, we fall into the trap of thinking, oh, that's so awesome. She asked God and he, he does do that. Some of us can relate. You're almost not even done praying. I've heard people tell stories where they're praying for something. They say amen and the phone rings. I believe these stories. I really do. But I also believe the ones that say, you know, I was praying for this loved one for 20 years. But amen. You want to give those? No, I don't hear anybody saying, well, Lord, you should have done it sooner. No. He's worth waiting for, but we need to be patient. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 tell us that we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. It's not just faith. You have faith until you don't. You understand that. I know God's going to do something a month later. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he won't. Let's just go. Faith and patience inherit the promises. So those are my first four hidden truths that she was a blessed woman who was still hurting. She was misunderstood by everyone but God, but she was patient because she knew God understood and God would move. My story might end there. I don't know. You know, I mean, she got the kid, didn't she? (laughs) Isn't that the Hollywood ending? Well, no, thankfully, no. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now this one was really hidden. I don't think I ever would have noticed this one if I hadn't studied it. But that idea of being weaned, a child is usually weaned once they're two to three years old. So the belief is at this point, Samuel was probably two. If you do the math, it's because it's a yearly sacrifice where Elkanah is kind of assuming that Hannah's going to come. And Hannah kind of has to speak up and say, no, I don't think he's weaned yet. 
Now, is that potentially a clinical observation? I don't think so. Come on, mom's in the room. <laughs> oh, I, 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 uh, he might need a little more time. Uh, a little more time, right? I think of the new parents where, you know, maybe the, the, the baby starts in the bed, right? And then after a few months, the husband's, so when's he getting out of the bed? Oh, soon, soon, soon. Three more months pass by. So about the whole baby in the bed thing. Oh, I know, I know. I just think they need a little... Come on, that's a beautiful thought. That's not a bad thing. That's Hannah being a mom. The fifth hidden truth, and this is, might be my favorite, is she was human. Isn't that so nice that the Bible does that? Couldn't the Bible have just given us a million people that are like impossible to live up to? There seem to be a few, to be honest. Job, Joseph, and Daniel, outside of Jesus, of course. You almost see nothing where you could say, well, at least they did this. But oh my goodness, Moses? He did murder someone, by the way. <laughs> Abraham? David? Peter? Like, I could rattle off so many amazing men of God. And you know something? I know they were sinners. You know why? Not because we're all sinners, but because the Bible's so blatantly honest with me. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I can look at this supposedly perfect woman and realize that she had a moment of saying, uh, one, one more year? Just, just one more year. And look at Elkanah's beautiful response. Maybe I'll turn this into a Father's Day sermon someday. I don't know. But look at what he says. He says, do what seems best for you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Like I would have skimmed right past that. But what that means is, listen, do what you think is best. But remember, you made a promise. And not just a promise to give your son, because guess what? Uh, as a Levite, they all had to give some time in there. She just extended that time to his life. But I, I love that. For, for, for being so clueless before when he says, aren't I more than 10 sons to you? This is the right thing to say. He respected her desires. He understood them. He felt that they were within the two to three year period and just said, but listen, God first. And that's what all of us need to take from it. Let's be encouraged that there are humans in this Bible who struggled with the same things we did and sometimes screw up the same things we screw up. But don't use it as an excuse to not do what God's told you to do. Yes, it's hard. Yes, sometimes you just want to hold on forever. But if you know that God is laying something on your heart, be human, but also be faithful. And that's my next point about Hannah, uh, verses 24 to 28. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So what are we supposed to take first? She did what she promised. She was faithful, agreed? It reminds me of Psalm uh, 15, 4. Um, Psalm 15 is where it starts out, who shall ascend to his holy hill? Who shall, pretty much who's worthy of coming into God's presence? And it rattles off all of these things. And then at the end, it says, he who swears to his own hurt, and does not change. That makes me think of Hannah right there. How many of us, let's be honest, we're in a time of need and we make a promise to God, which first off, we shouldn't do. The Bible makes it so clear, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but we all do it. Lord, if you just do this, oh, I promise I'll do this, especially in our youth. And then he does do it. <laughs> and we do try for a while. And next thing you know, maybe I'm not doing it quite. Next thing you know, and next thing you know, you're not doing it at all. Hannah was faithful. Hannah made a promise to God and she kept the promise to God. But Dom, if you can go back to verse 28, that last verse, I'm kind of hoping it bothers some of you. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah, what are you talking about lent? That's God's child. You're... Oh, that's really not a good translation, even though almost every translation I find uses that word. That word in its most primitive form means to ask, which doesn't make sense. Therefore, I ask, but it means more sense. I asked. Boom. Do you understand? 
because I asked and because he granted, here's yours. That's a beautiful thought. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Not that I expect him back. (laughs) He's yours. Why? Because I asked. And you heard me. We read in Sunday school this morning, Psalm 41. Wait patiently. I waited patiently on the Lord, and he inclined his ear and heard me. And I just love that thought of him saying, Don't worry, kid. I hear you. But the problem is, he's so good at doing his part, and we're so bad at doing ours. We have got to be faithful to what he asks us to do, to what we promise him to do. It's one thing to be patient until he gives us what we want. But then because we're human, we don't necessarily stay faithful in keeping the promise that we gave him. So she was patient, she was human, she was faithful. And am I done? Chapter 1 is done. Hannah actually bleeds into chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. But I do want you to see what Hannah says in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, and then we will wrap up. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Can we all agree that Hannah is praising God here? A lot of that even I'm not exactly sure what she's talking about, but I know it's thumbs up. I know it's good stuff. I know she's thanking God. My last hidden truth of Hannah is that she's thankful. What's the matter, John? You couldn't think of a better number seven? Of course she's thankful. She was just given a kid. This prayer should have come after verse 20. Verse 20 is the one that said she bore and conceived and bore a son. That's when she should be praising God, right? When do we read this? After she gave the son back. Like, how amazing is that? She isn't just caught up in the emotion of having a kid. She isn't just saying, oh, Lord, you're so great. And then he hits the terrible twos and, oh, Lord, what'd you do to me? No. She's praising him after, after it all. And after she looked back, and, you know, this is close to my heart now, and my wife's out there somewhere. She'll, I mean, we're kind of there right now. For those of you who know my family, one son who's out of high school, another daughter who's getting ready for a senior year. You know, you kind of want to <laughs> wrap that <laughs> wrap that uh, chain around their ankle. They got to go. You understand? And yes, it's going to hurt. And yes, it's going to be sad. But we all have a choice to say, are we going to be thankful for everything God did give us? Or are we just going to focus on the fact that, "Mm, but I just want, it's not about what we want. I'm sure Hannah would have loved to have kept her kids. She kept them as long as she could within the ability to honor God. And the second she had to choose between what she wants or what she promised God, I don't read anywhere in here that she even struggled with it because she knew the right thing to do. So my encouragement, again, mothers, you are my heart today. Again, I pray you have a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day. I pray that you do feel blessed. I pray that for the things that you are hurting in and that maybe nobody does understand that you just give them to God, that you allow him to do what only he can do. Be patient. While you're human, it's okay, but stay faithful. And oh, be thankful. Not just for what he's going to do, just for everything. And guess what? I started that sentence with mothers, and I so didn't need to. There's absolutely no one in here who could say, well, you know, I'm I, I would be blessed and hurting and all if I was a mom. No, come on. Every one of us 
can look at this and be comforted to know that God loves us with a love that no one else understands us, answers our prayers, which no one else can, but on the flip side, expects us to be faithful, expects us to be thankful, expects us that that when he blesses us, we respond in praise and blessing and obedience to him. On that note, I feel like I can say amen for all of us and pray uh, God's special blessing on your day. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you. Uh, this is what you do. Lord, I, <laughs> I was a little brat third grader knowing that Elkanah was the husband of Hannah, and all it was was an impressive trivia fact. And now here you are showing, showing me as a father and a husband how I can correctly treat my wife and my kids. And Lord, maybe that will be a sermon for another day. But today I thank you that your Bible isn't just filled with godly men, but most certainly with godly women. Lord, I thank you that Hannah just, for me, just perfectly hit the spot today, Lord. That in every phase of her emotions, she obeyed you, she honored you, she looked to you, she turned to you. She knew that you were the only one that could answer her prayer, you were the only one that would understand, and you were the one that was worthy to obey and to praise. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much. It's, It's such an overwhelming thought to know that only one mouth has words coming out, and yet your spirit can turn it into anything anyone in here needs. Comfort, conviction, encouragement. Lord, that's, that's your job, not mine. But again, I thank you for the honor, always of preaching, but especially on Mother's Day. Lord, you know I love them, I know you love them, and I pray that they can have that blessed day of rest, but that they also have time to reflect, that we all reflect on how truly blessed we are to have a loving, forgiving gracious, merciful, slow to anger. Lord, the list goes on and on. And I don't end that sentence with God, but with Father. Lord, you're everyone's God, but you're our Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray your special blessing on the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you all. All right. May his word be fruitful in our lives today. Amen. Let us sing the doxology. Amen. And for those that don't know where it is, eight, uh, 815 in your hymn book. Let us sing. Praise God from whom all.